If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and commencing to read at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please, and commencing to read at verse 1. We'll read these few verses, the first 11 verses together, and then we'll bow in a moment of prayer. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep or have died. And after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me, uh, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the word. Just bow with me, please, one moment, as we ask the Lord again for his help. Father, we just still ourselves this morning in thy presence, and we thank thee for the hymns that we have been singing that have reminded us again of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we cry as a little company beside the, the road. We ask for your help to come, and we pray that your presence will come among us. And we pray, Lord, that thou will speak to us this morning as we journey along the road of life. And Father, we pray that you'll take away every distraction, everything, Lord, that will steal our minds away from the Word of God. And we cry in the moments that we have that we'll know that thou art here. And Father, we're hungry for blessing. And so, Lord, I come before thee this morning, weak and unable, and Lord, uneducated, and yet we stand before thee just as a vessel. And we ask, Lord, that thou will come, and Lord, that thou will fill us with thy Spirit. Lord, that indeed that this will be a special meeting this morning. Lord, our hearts will be touched again as we look again at this mighty truth of the Word of God. And so we ask it in the lovely, precious, and worthy name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thank you very much for being patient with me. Whenever Paul was writing this first letter to the church of Corinth, he deals with a lot of issues that uh, every assembly faces. He dealt with the problem of division. 
And then he dealt with the mighty problem of discipline. And then he soars in this letter. You read it whenever you go home. And he soars and he raises a whole company of believers in Corinth and teaches them the mighty truth of the Word of God. He deals with division. He deals with doctrine. And he deals with discipline. But as he comes to the end of this first letter to the church of Corinth, he brings the saints of God back again to the mighty truth of the gospel. And you know, dear friends, this morning, so often we can get used to hearing and listening to the mighty message of the gospel, and in doing so, we can lose the wonder of it all. We can lose the thrill. We can lose the simplicity of how the Lord Jesus, he came and suffered on a cross on Calvary to die for you, And for me, we sang about it a moment or two ago. If you cast your eye to verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. You know, the gospel message is a message that it warms the heart of every saint. You know, every believer in this meeting this morning, it warms our heart to think that God would ever set his love upon us. It warms our heart to ever think that God would be interested in just mere mortals. It warms our heart to be, to think that while others are not interested, that God is interested in us this morning. It warms the hearts of the saints, but it wins the hearts of the sinner. And if you're in this meeting this morning and you know nothing of the joy of being saved, if you know nothing of the joy of having a Savior and a Redeemer, if you know nothing of having your sins forgiven, peace with God and a home in heaven, thank God you can get that assurance in this very meeting this morning. The mighty message of the gospel. That word gospel, I'm sure you all know it by now, is it's the word for good news. And we live in a world of bad news. You just have to turn on your television. You just have to turn on your radio. You just have to lift your paper and you'll read of some disaster, some catastrophe and some tragedy. It's a world of bad news. But thank God this morning that we can encourage our hearts that not only is there good news, but it's good news from God himself. It's summed up in 12 words or 25 words in John 3 and 16. 25 words that if we got a grasp of it this morning, we would never be the same again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The mighty message of the gospel. Four times in your New Testament you get that little phrase, the gospel of. Paul, he said in Ephesians that it's the gospel of peace. And if there's someone in this meeting this morning, indeed there may be many, and you're troubled along the road of life, maybe it's your sin, maybe it's your conscience, maybe it's your past, thank God there's a gospel of peace. Peace. You see, the Word of God says that God requireth that which is past. And every single one of us have a past. 
Every single one of us in this meeting this morning have secrets that we would not dare to share with any other man or woman. And yet God requires that which is past. I wonder, is your conscience troubling you? I told you the story before of a man who was dying in a hospital bed and he was moving back and forward. He was so restless. He knew he was going out into eternity. And the nurse, she came to him and she, she tried to fix his pillow to make him more comfortable. And this is what he said. He said, nurse, it's not the pillow. It's my past. It's my past that's troubling me. It's not the pillow. It's the gospel of peace to those that are troubled. But then in Acts chapter 20, the apostle went on and he said, it's the gospel of grace to those that are in need. Are you in need this morning? Well, friend, let me say this to you. We come into the presence of one this morning and the eyes of omnipotence will be upon us. And not only can he know the need, thank God he can meet the need. You look at your Gospels, you read them whenever you go home. Every time the Lord Jesus saw a need, he met the need. And that encourages our heart this morning. And again, I would say to you, if you're in this meeting and you can look back to days whenever you used to walk with God and you used to enjoy the things of God, and that is all gone. God not only knows your need, but thank God he can meet it. But then he went on in Ephesians and he said, not only is it the gospel of peace and the gospel of grace, in Ephesians 1 he describes it as the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of peace to those that are troubled. It's the gospel of grace to those that are in need. But it's the gospel of salvation to those that are lost. Those that are perishing. You know, dear friends, we're living in a world of men and women and they're perishing. Dying and going out into the great eternity. Dying and going out into God's long-lasting eternity. But here's a message, a great message. A message of good news, and it's the message of salvation, the gospel. But then finally he went on, not only is it the gospel of peace to those that are troubled, not only is it the gospel of grace to those that are in need, not only is it the gospel of salvation to those that are lost, but in Romans 1, Paul says it's the gospel of God. You see, I'm not here this morning to propagate a man's message. I'm not standing before you this morning to bring into you a denomination's message. I'm not bringing to you man's theology or man's ideas or man's ideology. But I would stand before you with the open book this morning and say to every single soul that there's a good news message not from a man but from God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the message of the gospel. It was with this very message that Paul went into Corinth with all of its sin and all of its immorality and with all of its idolatry. Paul, he left the city of Athens. Read about it in Acts chapter 18 whenever you go home. 
And he makes his way from Mars Hill and he goes down through the dusty streets of Athens and he comes to the city of Corinth and this is what he does. He preaches a mighty message of the gospel. Verse 1, cast your eye to it again. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. He preached it. You see, in Athens he debated it. But whenever he came to Corinth, he declared it. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Paul not only preached the gospel, he tells us how he preached it. Way back in chapter 2 of this same book, he says that he preached it not with the wisdom of man's words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. But he preached it in the, the spirit of dem- the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Whenever Paul, this little man, went into Corinth with all of its sin, with all of its problems, with all of its immorality, and he stood and he just declared the mighty message of the gospel that God so loved the world. And whenever he preached it, he preached it in power. And friends, let me say this to you this morning. Things began to happen. Things began to happen. In fact, whenever Paul, he began to preach it, people began to get saved. You read about it in chapter 6. He says there was thieves and there was drunkards, there was those and they were sexually perverted, there was liars, there was whoremongers, there was that were abusers of themselves, of mankind. Whenever they heard this mighty message of the gospel that God so loved them and that he was interested in them and that he could set them free, they got saved, changed their life. It was the mighty message of the gospel. You know, I say to you this morning that the gospel still has the power to save souls. I say to you this morning that the gospel still has the power to break chains. And I say to you this morning that the gospel is still the power to change and transform any life in this hall this morning. It's still the mighty message of the gospel. It's the message for the whosoever will. It's not for this group or that class or this organization or this denomination. It's for the whosoever will may come. The mighty message of the gospel. But Paul went on and he not only tells them that he preached it, and he not only tells them how he preached it, he reminds them again of what it is. He brings them back and he explains to them exactly what the gospel really is. And for a few moments this morning as I close, that's what I want to do. I want to explain to you from these few verses the gospel of all, in all its simplicity. I want to just lift out four little phrases. Each phrase will just contain three little words, four little triplets. The first one I want you to cast your eye to is in verse 3. He went on and he says, For I declared unto you, first of all, that which I received, how, and here's the little triplet, that Christ died. Three words. That Christ died. And I read over those, that, those three words, what a record. Sometimes you lift your paper and you will read down the columns of the obituary. 
And you'll read a record of when people die and where they die and what age they were when they died. And you know, dear friends, this morning, that's the most solemn thing that has gripped this preacher's heart this morning, that I stand before a group of men and women and we're dying. And you sit this morning and you look at a man who is dying. Every single one of us, we're dying. We're living in a world that's dying. I was at a funeral yesterday of a man that was in a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. He began to pray with tears coming down his face. He says, oh God, will you save my mother? Will you save my sister? Will you save them, Lord? And he pleaded with the Lord to save their soul. Thomas went home, sat down in his bed, 50 years of age, and went out into eternity. He died. And you know, dear friends, it's going to be said of you and me someday. He died. He died. You know why we're dying this morning. You know that the reason why death came into the world was because of sin. Whenever Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. And this is what the Word of God says. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We're dying. We're just mere mortals. Soon the place that knows us now will know us no more forever. And the epitaph will be written on our gravestone. And we'll be laid in Mother Earth and life will be over. And we'll be out into the great eternity. You know, dear friends, let me say this to you this morning. You don't die like a dog. You don't die like a bird. Or a monkey. The Word of God says that you've got a soul this morning. And the Lord Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, have all of the money and all of the intelligence and all the property and gold and silver the world has to offer, and to die, lose his own soul? What would it profit? Absolutely nothing. But the most remarkable thing about this is that while death has a claim upon you and I, while the unwanted visitor at times come into your home, he's uninvited, he's unwanted, he's unwelcome, and he takes the loved one, he takes the mother, he takes the son, he takes the father, and death has come. While death has a claim upon you and I this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ was the only man that ever lived that death had no claim upon because he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And friend, it's mighty to think of this, the one who had no claim of death upon him. It says in three words that he died. He died. He took on the likeness of men. Just to die. He was a real man. But he was not just a mere man. He was God manifest in the flesh. You read the Gospels and find out where there's a flaw in his life. And you'll have to say like those in Mark 7. Yea, he hath done all things well. 
Not only does Paul and the Word of God tell us when the Lord Jesus died and where he died, we know that from history. But Paul, he says in this little phrase, he puts a little word at the beginning of it, how that Christ died. Have you ever thought of that? How the Lord Jesus, he died. Well, Paul, he says in Philippians 2, that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There's men and they die in accidents. There's men and they die with illness. There's men and they die in an operating table in a theater in a hospital ward. But here was the Son of God, the living example, the Savior, Christ of the world. He died on a cross. And it was a death of shame and a death of suffering. And yet he died, even the death of the cross. Cast your eye down to the end of verse 3 and it says, according to the Scriptures. And you know, dear friends, this is one of the great truths of the Word of God. This is how we know that this book before us this morning is the living, inspired Word of God from heaven because almost 120 prophecies are recorded in the Old Testament concerning the death of Christ on a cross and the Lord Jesus fulfilled every single one of them in Calvary. There's five to six hundred pictures and types in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross before he ever came. And whenever he was in Calvary, he fulfilled every single one of them. Let me give you a few of them this morning as I go by. You remember he said in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he was lifted up. The Jews always stoned their victims, but the Lord Jesus was lifted up. 800 years before the Lord Jesus came, Isaiah the prophet took his pen and he wrote that he would be scourged. In Isaiah 50, and he was scourged. He goes on in Isaiah 50 and says that they will smite him on the face, and they did smite him. He says that they'll pluck the very hairs from their cheeks, and they did. He says that they will spit in his face, and they did. In Isaiah 53, he said that he would die with the wicked, and so he did. You remember how the Lord Jesus in Calvary, he died between the thieves. 800 years before the Son of God came, Isaiah told us what would happen. I tell you, dear friends, whenever you read that, that's whenever you need to cock your ears and understand that this is not a fairy story. This is not just a tale or a myth that two old women made up at the fireside. This is real. This is real. A thousand years before the Lord Jesus was born, David, the mighty man of God, took his pen and he wrote in the skin that it would be Gentiles that would kill him. And they did. Psalm 22, dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. One thousand years before the Lord came, they knew that they would put a nail through his hands and his feet. Ah, but the most interesting thing is this. Crucifixion wasn't even invented whenever David wrote this. It wasn't for another 400 years that Alexander the Great would 
invented. David not only told us that he, he would be crucified by the Gentiles and that he would be pierced in his hands and his feet, he said that they give me gall and vinegar to drink in my thirst, and they did. In Psalm 22, David says that he'll be in the light and in the darkness. And this is what it says in Psalm 22 and verse 1. I cry unto thee in the daytime, and thou hearest not. And in the night season. It was daylight and it was dark when the Savior died. You remember at 12 o'clock, read about it in your Bibles, Matthew 27. 12 o'clock noon. God turned out the lights of heaven. That was a thousand years prophesied before the Son of God came. The very words that David said in Psalm 22 and 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? A thousand years before the Son of God was crucified. He said that they would part my garments among them and they would cast lots from my vesture. And they did. 120 prophecies of the Savior dying on the cross were fulfilled that day at Calvary. That's no mistake. That's no fairy story. That's no myth. But not only did Paul say that Christ died, what a record. Very quickly he went on and he said he died for our sins. What a reason. I want you to listen to this this morning. I want you to get a grasp of this, that the the Lord Jesus, he came and he lived and he died on a cross. But why did he do it? Did he do it for crimes that he had done? Was it because of something that he had done that he was there? No, friends, the Word of God says that that Christ died for our sins. You remember Pilate, the great cross-examiner of Rome. Oh, he was the best interrogator the world has ever seen. And he questioned the Lord Jesus and he questioned them again and again. And four times that you'll read in your Gospels, four different times, I find no fault in this man. You'll remember whenever the thief was in Calvary and he looked and he saw the Lord Jesus, he said, this man hath done nothing amiss, but we receive the due rewards of our deeds. You'll remember the centurion when he stood and he gazed at Calvary and he saw thousands of men die, but he never saw a man die like this man. And this is what the centurion said. Surely this was the Son of God. How that Christ died. What a record for our sins. Oh, what a reason. You look back this morning just for a moment or two. Over all the sins of your life. Think of every filthy thought. Think of every lie and every exaggeration. Think of every lust. Think of every time you stole. And think of every time you took the Lord's name in vain. Oh, the mountain of sin. And Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures. You know, dear friends, he was the innocent who died for the guilty. 
He was the Savior who died for the sinner. He was the just who died for the unjust. That takes in you and me. You know, you may be saying to me this morning, is sin serious? Well, I would ask you this morning, is a, co- is a cold serious? Not really. You could take a tablet and you'll get the cold to take go away. Is the flu serious? Well, it's not really. You could take a week off work and fill yourself with antibiotics and it'll go away. But say you were sitting in the house someday and the telephone rang and the doctor rang you and he said, I want you to come in and see us immediately. And he brings you in and he opens a file and he says, I see you've got a malignant cancer tumor in your, in, in your, in your stomach and you're going to die. Friends, that's serious. Let me say this this morning as I pass on. Sin is far, 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 far more serious than a tumor will ever be. A tumor will kill the body, but sin will take your soul to a lost, lost eternity. A few years ago in England, there was a judge who was in the courtroom and he was to give sentence on a man who was in business and caused a lot of people to go into bankruptcy. Whenever he got to the courtroom, he saw that it was one of his best friends. The courtroom was packed. Men and women that trusted this other man with their money had to go into debt and had to sell their homes and their farms. And they were looking justice. And the judge, he, he sat in the dock and he, he, he looked at all of the evidence and he knew that this man, his friend, was so, so guilty. And he knew that he had to be just, and yet he wanted to be loving. And friend, let me say this to you this morning. There's coming a day when God will bring into judgment every secret sin that you and I have ever committed. And he wants to be just, and he has to be just, and your sin and my sin must be paid for. But he wants to be loving. And that judge, as he sat there that day, he got all of the evidence, and he looked at his friend and he brought upon his friend the most severe sentence that he could lay upon him. And all of the courtroom, they cried, justice, justice. His friend couldn't believe it. He, he couldn't believe that the judge, while he was his friend, would lay so serious a sentence upon him. Couldn't believe it. In fact, he was shocked. And then the judge, what he did was he took his, his gown and his wig off. And that one, that 500,000 pound bill, half a million, he stepped out from his seat and from behind the bar and he went down and he paid it all in full. He was just, but oh, he was loving. And friends, that's what Christ did at the cross. Whenever God took all of our sin, all of my sin and all of your sin, and he evaluated it, and he sentenced it, and he laid it on his son, and he was just, but oh, thank God he was loving. And that's the mighty message of the gospel.
And that's why I can stand here and oh, how we often quote it, thank God there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. Oh, there's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where it begins when we come as a sinner to Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, whenever he was in Calvary, the word of God says in 1 Peter, who, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Ah, it was for you and it was for me. But God commendeth his love toward us. You could hate God this morning. Did you remember this, that he loves you? But God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the mighty message of the gospel. I was looking at this hymn the other day. Let me read it to you. Listen to it as a read it quickly. The Lamb of God for sinners died, a victim on the tree. He gave himself a sacrifice to set the guilty free. No, the great Redeemer, he left his throne, the radiant throne on high, surpassing mercy, love unknown. He came to suffer, bleed, and die. He took the guilty sinner's place and suffered in his stead. For me, O miracle of grace, for me, my Savior bled. I need no other argument. Oh, I need no other plea. It is enough. Jesus died, and that he died for me. Friend, let me say this to you this morning, he died as much for you as he did for me. It's the mighty message of the gospel. You see, religion says do, but Christ says done. Religion says try, but Christ says trust. Religion, it says pay, but Christ says pay You see, whenever the Lord Jesus was on the cross and all of our sin was laid on him and it wasn't the nails in his hands and it wasn't the crown on on the thorns on his head, but at 12 o'clock the darkness came and God forsook him and all of our sin was laid on him. And the wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid. And after the three hours in Calvary, this is the cry that pierced the darkness. Finished. Paid in full. Paid in full. So that men and women in Dungannon in 2020 don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to join a group for it. You don't need to be baptized for it. Just trust him. He'll save you in the very seat. Oh, that's the mighty message. The mighty message of the gospel. And I would feel like shouting hallelujah. What a savior. That Christ died, what a record. For our sins, oh, what a reason. And then he went on in verse 3, verse 4, he says, and that he was buried. Oh, friend, I haven't got time to touch on it this morning. You remember how God had two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and they came, and it says they besought Pilate for the body of Jesus, and he gave it to them, and it says, and they took him down from the cross. And they took him to the sepulchre, a new sepulchre where never man led before. 
They had a hundred pounds worth of spices and it's two Ben's lifetime's wages. Three hundred years wages. Worth of spices. And they poured it upon the body of the Savior and they wrapped it in linen. And the body of the Lord Jesus lay in that grave. And that was the end. No, it wasn't. Because it says in verse 4, that he rose again. He rose again. Whenever Napoleon was fighting at the Battle of Waterloo with Wellington, there was a message came back to England and it just said two words, Wellington defeated. And the whole of England went into mourning. In fact, I heard recently that men, actually businessmen, committed suicide because they thought Napoleon was going to come and ruin England. Wellington defeated. But three days later, the message came through, and this is what it said. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And dear friend, let me say this to you tonight or this morning. Whenever the Lord Jesus was taken off the cross, whenever he was laid in the tomb, the world says he's defeated. Oh, that was the cry of the, 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 the spirits in hell. He's defeated. But you know, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, you know what happened? Christ defeated Satan. And up from the rave he arose with a mighty victor o'er his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with a saint's terrain. Oh, I would say to you this morning, Muhammad's dead. Indeed he is. Joseph Taze Russell's dead. Smith is dead. And all of the great religious men of the world are dead and gone. But Christ on the third day. And he rose again. Again. Oh, I say to you, what a reality. What a reality. And the Lord Jesus, he, he came out from the stone and there was the seal and the soldiers, but the Lord Jesus, he rose again. Ah, he just, uh, he's not just a living Savior this morning, but he's a victorious Savior this morning. Because the Word of God says that he spoiled principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. I say to you as I close this morning, that's why you can trust him. I, I haven't got time this morning. Time has beaten me to show you some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, how the Lord Jesus, before he ever died, was prophesied that he would rise again. And so he did. I'll give you three reasons this morning for the evidence of the resurrection. Three reasons why I know this morning and you can know that the Lord Jesus is not dead. How you can know that this message is not just another fairy story. How you can know this message can change your life. Here's three reasons. First of all, he was seen. He was seen. Four times you get that little phrase in verse 5 to verse 8. He was seen. Cast your eye to it. Verse 5 it says, And he was seen of Cephas. And then of the twelve. And then he was seen of about 500 brethren. Verse 7, and he was seen of James and the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. Friends, if you were standing in a court of justice and you had two eyewitnesses, that would do. But the Lord Jesus had at least 520 eyewitnesses. 
he was seen. But not only was the Lord Jesus seen, that's an evidence. Here's another evidence. He saves. He saves. Wherefore he is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. You see, dear friends, this morning I know he saves. Not because I read it in the book. Not because some man has told me to come and preach at the lifeboat. But I can look back to a day in my life when I realized that I was a sinner on my way to a lost eternity. And I realized the Lord Jesus, he died on Calvary for me. Oh, all for me. And I got down and I said, Lord, will you come into my heart? Will you save me? Will you change my life? Will you set me free? Oh, in a moment. Hallelujah, in a moment. He changed the life and he broke the chains and he saved my soul. You see, a story couldn't do that. And there's many in this room this morning could say the same. We know he's alive because he was seen. We know he's alive because he saves. Finally, we know he's alive because he satisfies. Oh, we've tried the broken cisterns. But oh, the water's failed. Friend, let me say this to you this morning. The world will never satisfy Money will never do it. The new house, the new car, the new home, the new clothes, the new promotion will never do it. Now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. There's life and love and lasting peace. Lord Jesus found in thee. That Christ died, what a record. For our sins, what a reason. And rose again, what a reality. But here's the last little triplet. And it's in verse 1. Ye have received. What a response. I want to ask you a question as I close now. I want you just for one minute to shut off from those around you and beside you. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever received it? Have you ever realized this morning that the Lord Jesus died on a cross? Yes, I I believe that. But friend, have you ever received it? Have you ever got saved? Have you ever known what it is to have your sins forgiven on your way to heaven and have peace with God? You see, a false profession will let you down. Intelligence and money will let you down. But here was people at Corinth and Paul could say, ye have received it. Maybe you reject. Maybe you resent this message. But wouldn't it be lovely if someone received it? Ah, you say to me, Stephen, how do I receive it? How do I get saved? Friend, whenever you come to Calvary and you gaze at the Son of God on that cross, stripped naked, And beaten beyond recognition with all of the thorns and the nails in his hands. And you gaze upon him there, despised and forsaken of men and disowned by God. And you say, Lord, did you do that for me? You know the answer? I did it for you. Lord, did you take my sin? 
Did you take all my filthy, depraved, rotten sin that's taken me to a lost eternity? Did you die there for me? Oh, friend, he died there for you. Do you see the day whenever you come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in your sight. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. And I come this morning and realize that you have paid it all in full for me. And I want you to save me. I want you to take my life and cleanse me. I'm going to trust you from now to the end of time. He'll save you in the very seat we sit. Friends, that's the mighty message of the gospel. Now I want to ask you a wee question before we sing a hymn. Have you got it this morning? I'm not asking you this morning, have you made a decision years ago or are you a member of a church? Or I'm not asking you, do you agree with it? Maybe you do, maybe you even believe it. But I want to ask you, have you ever received it? Have you ever put your full trust in the Lord? Have you ever repented of your sin? Oh, I say again at 12 o'clock, wouldn't it be lovely if some soul in the meeting would bow their head and say, Lord, I've come face to face with the risen Christ. I want you to come in this morning. I want you to save my soul. And I tell you, dear friends, it'll satisfy not for time alone, but for all of eternity. Let us pray. Father, we just bow in your presence as we come to a close. And we thank you, Lord, for this mighty message of the gospel. We thank thee, Lord, for the love of God that thou hast toward us. While we are sinners and while we are far, far away from thee, yet we thank thee that thou didst send thy Son to die on a cross for us. Lord, not only did he pay the penalty of sin in full, but Lord, we thank you this morning that he's a risen, exalted Saviour. We thank you that he can keep and that he can satisfy. We pray, Lord, if there's those in our meeting that have gone cold or those that are not saved, and those of us that are saved this morning, we pray that we'll never lose the wonder of this mighty message of the gospel. We ask as those will go and as we gather round the table to remember all that happened at Calvary, we pray that our meditation of him will be sweet. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.